Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks this day for your word of scripture that gives us a glimpse of who you are. We give you thanks and we ask your blessing on our time of continued worship this day. Amen. Every few months, I try to return to some variation of a question that's at the root of our human identity and our experience. How do you imagine God? If you were to draw a picture of God, what would it look like? What would God be doing? If I asked you to describe God, what words would come to mind, both describing God's appearance and perhaps God's nature? I wonder if your answer might have developed over time. Did you have an image of God from Sunday school or from books or from your parents or grandparents or maybe even from the movies? Maybe you think of deep voices, sort of ethereal and just a little off camera. Or maybe a sophisticated accent, like a vaguely British accent. Maybe the god of your memories or your imagination has a long beard. And speaking of beards, how did the god of your memories, your idea of God, treat humans, treat you? I say speaking of beards because the image of God often sounds like another chap with a long white beard, one who's making a list and checking it twice, who knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. I don't know what images of God you grew up with, and I don't know what your image of God is today. But humanity has been imagining the divine for some time. Humans have created images of God in art, in their minds, and even in words and poetry. We have used whatever means we have to try and articulate who God is or God might be and what God is up to. I've talked with some of you uh, over the past few years about who God is to you, what God looks like to you, how you imagine God, and the images I've heard described have been so wide-ranging. One of you said to me once, I'm not sure whether I believe in God, but if I believe in her, she's a big loving grandmother. Another person described God as being impossible to describe. And that was it. They left it at that. Another person described God in a very traditional, even popular culture way by describing the long bearded old man on a cloud. Interestingly, that was the youngest person. And the oldest person was the one who said to me that God was indescribable and moved on sort of like leave it alone. The one who saw God as a big loving grandmother was right in the middle. You know, we can't help but have our understanding of God shaped by a whole variety of inputs. Like I said, movies, television, artwork, all of these have given us a picture, a sound, and a sense of God. And if we look at the collection, the variety of these images of God that appear in these outlets and in the minds of one another, perhaps that alone is enough to make us see just how challenging it is to understand God and to envision God. And I also think we begin to see, though, that for many people, our understanding of God is more shaped by popular culture than it is by scripture or even by the church. In fact, the church is more silent sometimes about who God is than we should be. 
Surprisingly, while we have creeds and confessions and hymns that say so much about God, we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about the God we follow. One of the reasons I think people often leave the church, especially younger people, is that there's been very little attempt to look at the mystery of who God is. Instead, we assume belief and we assume common understanding of God. And when those questions are either ignored or dismissed or when challenges to the popular culture images or even the Sunday school caricatures of God are left unanswered, when the challenges are left unanswered, People drift away. They they move on like, like they move on from believing in, well, other fanciful things. And this isn't really new. When looking throughout history, and especially modern history, this is a large part of why fear has been used in the church so much. Fear used as a tool to drive people into church or to drive people away from disbelief. Fear of God. Remember, he knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Don't question God or wrestle with understanding of God because you don't want God to smote you. And you don't want the wrath of an angry, often male, God. So culturally, even in the recent past and in many circles still today, to either deny God or express ambivalence about God's identity, it's seen as, as cringeworthy, socially unacceptable. And yet, even within most churches, there's not much attempt to try and understand this God we profess to follow. Perhaps one we follow out of allegiance or fear or inheritance or cultural attachment or perhaps even one we follow because God is part and parcel with the things of the church that we do know and love and value, the fellowship, the companionship, the friendship. And the reality is that all of these things, these acts of love, they are embodiments of God. They are indications of God's goodness. They are ways we understand God more, and they are wonderful. Wonderful expressions of God's love in the way the church interacts with one another, for sure but we still have this lingering question. Who is God? What does God look like? What are God's characteristics? Why does God matter? As we take this ancient and sacred Advent journey toward the birth of Christ, why does any of that matter? Why does it matter that God would become human? It only matters if God matters. And God only matters when we examine our own relationship with God and our understanding of God. Theologians have done this for centuries. In fact, that's really all that theology is about. It is the study of God. And I've shared this before, but theologians have been fighting about God for a very long time. Fighting not always for the sake of disagreement, but really, they've been fighting because they're in deep discourse in trying to explain God using words. And for most of us, these nuanced arguments are pretty meaningless because they become so esoteric. Their writings, though, whether we know it or not, they've shaped our understanding of God, even those popular culture images of God I described before. And St. Augustine's work from the fourth century, for instance, has shaped much of what the church, our church even, still teaches about God. And these theologians are important, for sure. But there's no substitute 
for our own exploration of God and our beliefs in God. But there is a unifying connection between the historical and modern theologians and our own understanding of God. Actually, there are at least two significant connections. One is experiential, and we've talked about that before. We know of God in the warmth of caring actions. We know of God in our experiences of love that we have from others when we're in trouble or in a challenging time. We know of God when the church surrounds us in our difficult times or when we experience a beautiful sunrise or sunset or the wonder of creation. Experiences of God's goodness, experiences we can taste and see and touch and smell, they truly shape our understanding of God. Creation points to the creator. The second connection that you and I have to theologians is that our understanding of God is informed by scripture. God's nature, God's attributes, God's character, these are all expressed in scripture in the experiences and observations of the writers, but also in the way that God, over and through time, has chosen to be revealed to humanity. One of the activities we often do in our Wednesday Bible study is consider the question of how God is portrayed in a particular scripture. We'll ask the question, what do you see about God here? Sometimes the answer is unsettling or uncomfortable and we sit with that discomfort. We sit for a moment and try to ask ourselves why there is discomfort and what it means for us and for our faith. But then other times, as we approach scripture, we gain a dimension of God that helps shape our understanding of the one we follow. We look for the attributes. We follow the signs that point to who God is. In Christ, We most often see these divine attributes right in front of us. We see Christ's abundant love, particularly for those who are marginalized and without power. We see Christ's transformation of the poor and the hungry and the sick and the imprisoned. We see Christ's attributes of healing and of compassion and of deliverance. We see these divine attributes in Christ that show us something of God's nature. The more we look at scripture, we see that the mystery of God is that we can't pigeonhole God into our simplified definitions. Our quest as Christians is to be ones who learn about and explore these attributes, constantly shaping and reshaping our understanding of God and allowing God to reshape how God is being revealed in our lives. Each Advent, this is what we do. Our lives can be lives of Advent, lives of expectation, lives of being open to God's revelation, to God's revealing of who God is, to God's willingness to come into our lives and be present with us, present with you. And the more we approach God at Advent, the more we allow ourselves to seek God through scripture and through our experiences, the more of God's nature is revealed to us. This morning, our text from Isaiah that Maddie and Susie read for us is a revelation of God. This text was written to a people who were lost and confused. They've been forced to worship other gods, and they've been the victims of great oppression. 
The text comes on the heels of, of great destruction and the exile of the people from their homeland. The people are in the midst of upheaval. Earlier this week, Lottie asked me a question. She asked how I felt about the use of the word peacelessness in our prayer of confession. We talked about the word, this possibly made up word a little bit, and decided at my urging on different phrasing. I kicked myself later though, because the more I sat with our text for this Sunday, I realized that we can best understand peace if we can understand the state of peacelessness. And peacelessness is exactly what the people are experiencing in this morning's text. And I wonder if you experience peacelessness. I wonder if the absence of peace in your life is sometimes easier to understand than the peace the absence of peace, the peacelessness, is the state into which God makes God's presence known. In Isaiah, it is in this peacelessness, the unsettledness, the wilderness of exile, but also the wilderness of grief and the wilderness of sorrow and detachment and loneliness, in the wilderness of forgotten dreams, and in the wilderness of separation from loved ones, and the anxiety of a world where racism and a pandemic and political strife and discord and where the cold of winter comes. This is the peacelessness where God makes God's presence known and where God says comfort where God brings comfort and where God issues a directive, not to us, but to the heavenly council God has gathered, the angels and messengers and others to whom God says, bring my comfort, bring my comfort to my people, bring peace into the peacelessness, comfort my people. This is who God is. God is the God who brings comfort. God is the God who comes to bring something other than peacelessness into our lives. Something other than the separation we feel from a God we cannot see and cannot de define so easily and we cannot comprehend. God who brings comfort. God who brings peace like a shepherd, Isaiah writes. God who will gather us into God's arms and carry us. This is God. This is the God we follow, the God we worship, the God for whom we are created to seek, the God in whom we find our peace, and the God who is with us, Emmanuel, the God who comes to us. In the midst of all the disorder of their lives, as the people are wandering and filled with peacelessness, they hear those words of comfort. But perhaps the most comforting words they might hear, the, the most comforting words we might hear, the most comforting knowledge is the declaration that even in the midst of all struggle here, here in your peacelessness, here, right here, 
here is your God. Here is your God, here, with you, around you, in your wilderness, in your story. Here is your God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.